All right, and we are live. Welcome back, everyone. You already know what it is. It's Nooner Nation, podcast for Nooners by Nooners. Uh, as you can see, my camera is uh, a little crooked, but we'll, life goes on. We'll work past that. We'll get through it. And, uh, of course, I always have to have some sort of technical problem through all of this. So before we get started, before I inter- introduce my guest, you already know the drill like and subscribe on YouTube. We're getting pretty close to the 200 mark, which is, you know, not a lot for a lot of people, but 200 goes a long way for small podcasts on YouTube like me. So, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe, go tell your friends. Um, I would say go make a a bunch of bot accounts and do it. But if you have a bunch of uh, subscribers and no actual views, that kind of hurts you. So don't do that. Just go tell people to uh, subscribe, go, uh, Go steal like your parents' phone and subscribe them, you know, things like that. So also uh, rate and review on iTunes, Um, hit the five star, leave a review. Like I've always said, I don't care if it's negative, just leave a review Um, or leave something really funny. I think uh, somebody, I'll have to post, there's been some funny ones. I'll have to post some on the Instagram later. Um, Yes, IG girl, we are live. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little, we're a little late. Sorry, I had my uh, my oldest had his um, school orientation. We just moved, so he moved to a different school. So had to go do the orientation. Luckily, he's in first grade, so it's not a huge deal moving. But we had to go do that. Ran a little bit behind. So, but we got to start it, and we're earlier than normal. So again, like and subscribe on YouTube. Go out to iTunes, rate, review. Uh, Spotify you can rate now. So, yeah. And then also, again, one of the biggest things that help is just share. You know, go if you follow the the um, Instagram page, you know, when I hit post and stuff, share it. Share, like copy the link to the YouTube channel. Share it. It goes a long way. So, we'll move, with that, I'll introduce my guest, whose name is not Taylor. Um, he, that's just what's going on there. And the... The first thing you're going to notice is uh, that the guest does not uh, show his face, and that is for a reason I'll let him get into. But I'm joined tonight by uh, BC Sanders. He uh, he has a podcast. I think he kind of works and uh, kind of works with um, the Failure to Stop guys. Eric Tanzi, who is a, a you know big supporter of the show, love Tanzi, and then Mike the Cop. Um, so he does the Disruptor podcast, and I think like. BC, is that on the failure to stop like network? It, yeah, it was. We were the Tuesday spot, and unfortunately, because of my job and and you know potentially signing contracts or you know any of that stuff, like once like um, scheduling gets involved, I couldn't deliver. And I and I told Tansy, you know, I can't, I can't do it. And I apologize, man. So we weren't able to stay on their show on Tuesdays, right. which we, we enjoyed. So we we independently, so we are still doing a podcast. We just can't do it like on a weekly basis and deliver right. for them. Yeah, and I just I can't leave anybody hanging like that. As good as they are, because they're they got a strong show. So oh yeah, it's man, it's hard. Trust me, I just do this on my own, and I mean, yeah. I've I've missed a couple weeks. I try to keep it regular, but dude, life. And I mean, with your background, <laughs> yeah. you're you were going to be on a couple weeks ago, and then you texted me right before, yeah. said you got caught at work. So uh, yeah. Which, that's the that's the life, man. Yeah, and that's that's the bad things. Like we went, 
Uh, my, my co-host and I, we, we've worked together on two or three different gang units throughout our careers. And uh, we went probably two or three weeks without even being able to record because I'm hopping from gang conference to police leader conference and he's got his stuff going on. And so eventually we settled down and just posted, you know, another episode recently, but yeah, we, it's hard to stay regular. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, any other time you just eat a bunch of fiber, you're good to go when it comes to content creation. Not a whole right. lot you can do about it, right? So address the, uh, if you're watching the show, address kind of the elephant in the room. Don't show your face. Um, and like we said, when you said you got caught up at work, knowing what you do, I was kind of like, ugh, that's not just like the boss coming in and say, hey, can you get a report done for me? So uh, go ahead and give yourself, uh, introduce yourself a little bit, kind of say what what you do and why uh, why it is that your life is so hectic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so uh, I'm currently working homicides. And so I, I have throughout several years at different times worked uh, on homicide units. Uh, my background, I've worked on street level gang units. I've worked with an FBI task force and dismantled an entire uh, East Coast blood set. And that took like a year, year and a half. I've worked gangs on like every level. That was my thing when I became a cop was I saw First, it was like Bloods on the corner, and then we started seeing Crips, Serenios, Latin Kings, Vice Lords, like Gangster Disciples. The more I learned, the more I saw, right? And so I, I, I've worked gangs on patrol uh, through a drug unit, through aggravated assault detective. Like I've had various assignments like that where the common thread has always been gangs. So that's always been my thing. So the running joke is people will say, oh, you know, you see me, don't give me a speeding ticket or something. I'm like, I've never... I've never written a speeding ticket. Like, I don't even know how. I don't, I've never done that. Like, my my first beat when I was a patrol officer was a very small, maybe two two square mile, if even that. It was mostly apartment complexes uh, and some city parks and, like, just, like, the, the mo- one of the most violent areas of the city. So, I was good with that. I didn't want to, I didn't want to run radar and write right. speeding tickets. I wanted to go after dudes with, with guns right. who were trying to kill other dudes. <laughs> right. So, if, if, if somebody sees you, a speeding ticket is probably the least of their worries at that point. <laughs> well, I would probably have to ask them, look, how do I even write this thing? Like, I'd have to ask the citizen, you ever had a speeding ticket? You know, I don't even know how to write one. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I can stop. I used to stop cars all the time on patrol, but it wasn't for speeding. It was for, like, other, other violations. And normally it would be, you know, hey, I stopped you because you're not right, you know, wearing a seatbelt. And then I see where they live, their address, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know about that shot house down the street or, hey, so-and-so just got shot in your neighborhood. And they're like, yeah, what y'all doing about it? Uh, I don't know. What do you got? I'm not writing anything down. And then they just start giving you info. And you're like, all right, boom, next time wear your seatbelt, please. I don't want to see you die in a car crash. You go to your car, you take that info, push it over to detectives, help clear a homicide, and then you go, cool, I, I feel better about myself today. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So – can you tell us who actually shot Tupac? Yeah. Oh, you know, this is cool. Okay. Like all jokes aside, have you, do you read a lot or no? I see some VHS tapes. Um, there, so I know you watch movies. But. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, okay. I'm from the South, I'll, so I could read like on a second grade level. Right. Right. That's all you need, man. Like, no, seriously, there's a book called Labyrinth. Labyrinth. And it actually goes into like Tupac and Biggie's murders. And it's all about, uh, LAPD, some of the corruption going on then, the whole investigation. And I think that Johnny Depp and Forrest Whitaker were in a movie recently that was adapted from the book. 
Huh. But I read the book a while back. It, I mean, whether that's 100% true or not, it's a, it was a good read. So if you read it, it'll kind of allude to who the detective thought shot huh. Tupac. All right, I'm gonna have to make note of that and check it out because I'll watch that. I'm, no, I'm a huge Tupac fan, and that sounds like okay. a probably pretty good read. So yeah, and it is, it is it's not like um, like some college professor wrote it. You know, is mm-hmm. pontificating. It's it's just straightforward um, narrative. You're just reading this investigation. So gotcha. I'm yeah. a nerd, dude. Like I'm surrounded right now in this room by four bookshelves. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, nice. Um, yeah. Do you have a uh, OJ's book there? The what is it? If I if I did it? Oh, if is... I did it or whatever. No, I do not. Uh, I do have several like uh, gang books, but if like a gang member writes a book, usually I right. will buy it used. You know, just because sometimes some dudes I don't want to put money in their pocket. Now if they're really reformed and and they're trying to help people, yeah. But there are a few a few books that I, I won't even reference on here. But I've paid like you know two pennies, three pennies for them or whatever. Right. Right. So, man. So, yeah, OJ did it, right? We were like, is that, is that even? Um, if, you, if you go back and read, okay, so there's a guy named John Douglas. He was a FBI profiler, psychological profiler. So, like, there's a show, Mindhunter, that was like, mm-hmm. huge, right? So, when right. you're watching that show, Mindhunter, it's based on John Douglas and Robert Ressler, these two FBI uh, agents in real life. Gotcha. Well, John Douglas wrote a book, not, you know, sort of like running the profile of, the type of person that that did the killings, you know, the, the right. uh, Nicole Brown Simpson killings, and and he kind of alludes to in that book some some stuff that OJ was training for for a movie and that sort of thing and like how the how the the homicide itself happens with a knife. But I mean, come on, it's that that was a that was one of those cases that everybody thought was going to go one way and you know and it didn't. So I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't part of the investigation, so I don't know fully. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess the next <laughs> kind of the next one in line there. And uh, obviously I'm, I'm from your accent. I'm judging you're uh, from the South kind of. So no, uh, uh-uh. no, no, no. no? <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Bronx. De- yeah. Bronx kid? Definitely from the South. Yeah. I, I used to joke. I used to joke with people in the street. Like when, when I, w- and we call it like up top, you know, like when you run into people from New York city and stuff that moved down to the South. So I started talking to people and I mean, they're hitting this heavy, like, you know, South Bronx accent or something. And then I'll say, I'll just throw some stuff out there and be like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's where I grew up. And they're like, yo, you, you from the boogie down? I'm like, yeah, man, I grew up, man. And I'll just, like, throw out some random streets that I've heard people say. Yeah. And they look at me sideways like, there's no way this dude is from the Bronx. And then, of course, I laugh. I'm like, hell no, dude. Like, I was born and raised here. I went in the Army and left for a couple of years. But for the most part, man, I've spent most of my life in the South. Yeah, and I kind of like it. I mean, <laughs> Mc- like it. McConaughey always pulls it off, you know. He's got, <laughs> yeah, the Bronx, yeah. I grew up in the Bronx, man. <laughs> like, oh, <okay. laughs> right? I mean, yeah, sure. You well, did. The, I mean, sometimes you just got to break the ice with people, especially in like a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. So, and it helps, you know. Like a lot of people, are like, oh, okay, I can joke with this dude, even though uh, sometimes I'm in a suit if I'm a detective. But like when I was a patrol officer, I'd be in a uniform. Right. So you're used to seeing the uniform. And if you had a bad experience with the police, which I have multiple ones growing up, then you see the next officer in a uniform and go, okay, this officer is going to be just like the last one. Right. Right. But that's why I'd always try to like break the ice and be like, yeah, you know, we can, we can laugh and joke as long as you're not reaching in your pocket or your waistband, we can joke all day uh, until we get down to, to serious business. But right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. My dad uh, was from, is, was from East London and, uh, 
I remember growing up and I like growing up in the I grew up in like the Asheville area of North Carolina. Um, so, uh, people would ask like, Oh, I love your accent. Where are you from? And he'd always be like, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people were like, really? Well, or was bad. It was bad as probably in your area. now, if it's like other parts of the South, you get so many people from all over the country. Right. That they'll say like, Oh wow. I like your accent. You know, oh, cool. Cause you know, 15 years ago, everyone around me sounded like this, but now, you know, I, I'm the, I'm the oddball out or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I've recently, or not recently, about 10 years ago, I moved to where I'm at now, which is Des Moines, Iowa. And, uh, people like, you're like, man, you must be from the South. I was like, really? Like you got an accent. I was like, I don't think I have like, yeah. you should meet like, you should like my, my best yeah. friend had, sounds very similar to you. And I was like, man, if he was here, it'd blow your mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had, I got a buddy. He moved down from New York, you know, year, a few years before he became a cop. And that was his running things. Like he would just crack all these jokes about the South. And I'm like, dude, you and like 400 other people have come down here at the same time, you know, oh, yeah. to, to become cops and stuff. So we must be doing something right. You know, like if, if, you know, why, why do you stay down here if, if you know, you're going to make fun of it so much? And he's like, well, someone's got to raise the literacy right around here. Right. Right. <laughs> No, he he came down because he just loves Myrtle Beach. <laughs> right, right. And it's true that I, I haven't met anybody that has moved down to the South from like a big city who hates it. They love it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, it's definitely now, a different. Yeah. Speed, now they don't sure. they don't like the crime. Now that's the difference. You know, like all these all these Southern cities that for years had like low crime rates. You know, and like low like when I say crime rates, I'm talking like violent crime. Right. Armed robbery, shootings, and homicides traditionally a lot of the cities had had really low violent uh, rates of violence per capita until probably the last 20 years. And you can trace it because of the gangs because gangs have populated all over the Southern States for the last 20 years from LA, Chicago, and then your whole explosion of East coast bloods out of New York. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, I get that like some yeah gang migration from the kind of the Western Chicago. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, before that, I mean, was there anything like, I'd have to imagine you'd have some kind of Latin-based gangs coming out of Florida, right? And, um, well, in the South, well, probably a lot of, like, white white supremacist kind of stuff going on as yeah, well. It, okay, so, and, and just so everybody knows, like, dude, I teach up to, like, five days. Like, my gang classes are very, very in-depth. So, when we're talking about gangs, I go all the way back to, like, the origin of each gang what city they come out of, why they or how they can populate in a city or how that, inf- I use an infection, like as a comparison. Right. Like why, you know, so when you mention Florida, you may have gangs that, that are operating in Florida, but historically may have been out of Los Angeles. Gotcha. Right. So, right. We, so when you go back and trace, like basically bloods originate in Los Angeles, Crips originate in Los Angeles, Gangster Disciples, Chicago, Latin Kings, Chicago, Vice Lords, Chicago, uh, Maniac Latin Disciples, Chicago. Right. So that, but they, through evolution and, and, and moving and people going to prison, it just begins to spread. So really, you don't see the nationally recognized gangs out on the East Coast and in the South. Until, like I said, like, like that, you start to see it happen in the 90s. So, by the mid, like 1993, 94 in Rikers Island, New York, you see an explosion of local, like, 
neighborhood gangs and guys are getting arrested. Like they've already got these gangs kind of established. They go to Rikers Island, you know, they're waiting for the court dates and stuff or whatever. And they're serving, you know, less than two years or whatever. And then some of these guys make connections to Los Angeles. They see this whole blood movement and they create their own United uh, blood nation in Rikers Island in New York. So in the mid nineties, it's this explosion. You also have Latin Kings coming from Chicago filtering into New York city about the same time as well. And then you can just track it all the way down the East coast because of population shifts as people move from New York, you know, down to the South, they bring that with them as guys get arrested locally. So like maybe the city you're from, some guy will get arrested for like a drug charge, uh, trafficking Coke or something. He goes to federal prison while he's locked up in federal prison. If there's a gang presence in that prison, he can get recruited become a gang member in that prison and come back after two or three years or five years or whatever to your hometown. And now he's like, damn, there's no other presence here. And whatever gang he's joined, let's say it's, you know, Pyru blood set. He gets back and he now begins to recruit people. And, and now you have a Pyru set within your city. If that makes sense, but that's how it, that's how it happens. No, it makes or, sense. Yeah. Or, or like, okay, so you're from, you move from your town, you said to Iowa. Right. So when you move somewhere and you go somewhere new, you're taking your knowledge with you. So as, as guys have moved around from city to city and they're gang members, they go to those new cities, they check it out. And I mean, you know, you know, the deal, you start feeling the vibe and go, okay, there's no one here that's crip or whatever. And, and someone that's like, say rolling sixties crip, they move to a new city and go, okay, well, I'm going to establish a crip set here. And it's like a franchise. Now they just get to recruit people. And the more people they recruit under them, the more money they can make. Man, yeah, that's it's nuts. crazy, man. It's not this is not this is not what people think it is. They think uh these like bloods, crypts, like all these gangs, uh MS 13, you know, 18th Street, like all this stuff. They're thinking that this is just like a couple of wild kids in the neighborhood throwing a bandana in their pocket, you know, and then going and committing some crime. Right. This is, these are criminal organizations, man, that are some of them are transnational now. Like I mentioned, M- MS-13, 18th Street. They're, they're from the U.S. all the way through Central America. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think. It's uh, bad. Right. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, I mean, like what is you talk about, you know, like almost like it's your reference of like it being a franchise almost it's like. Mm-hmm. Is there actually organization behind that or is it just like. This guy moves here. Oh, I'm the new, I'm starting a new blood thing here. And, but he doesn't really have any affiliation with where he came from. Or is there actually right. like a high, like, is there an organization to this? Yes. Yeah. It, each gang is different. So when I'm teaching this, or even like when I'm talking right now, you may have some cops listen to this show and where they patrol or where they, you know, investigate, they may have get some gangs there and then go, Oh, what this dude's talking about. That's not how our gangs move. Well, it may be because you're you're you've got a different type of gang there, right? So, if, like, if you look at like Latin Kings, highly organized, like highly intelligent, very good at public image, right? So you can like Google King Tone T O N E, right? And you can pull up videos of King Tone. He's he's a high ranking or he was a high ranking Inca with Latin Kings, and they have these videos of him talking. He is very almost like a politician, very very like a like a positive image on the surface um, to the public. So when you start tracing Latin Kings and, and now, you know, through 
research, you can read uh, federal documents and, and RICO investigations in which the FBI or ATF or whatever will team up with local organizations and they'll investigate these gangs because they're committing murders and that sort of thing. So then you can actually read some of these, these documents or like I read one's like 50 pages long and it just outlines the entire gang and the murder for hire um, cases they had, the actual murders they had committed, how they had gone to war with MS-13 because of that, that area they were in. It's, it's, it'll, it'll blow your mind, but then you look at it and go, okay, we are dealing with organizations. So the nice thing about that is if you want to try and control or at least decrease the, the armed violence in a city, you got to go after gangs. You'll, you'll probably decrease most of your violence by like 60% if departments get very active on the gangs right. because, they're, because they can be so highly organized and they're learning from one another. And so if you have a rank structure already set in place, you have, let's just keep it simple, a supervisor basically training or teaching younger guys how to commit crimes or how to go undetected when they do commit these crimes, right? So they're learning each time they get arrested. So when a person gets arrested, say for a drug deal or a drug sale, they, the defendant, the, the, the arrestee, the gang member, they get what's called discovery. They get to see everything that the police department has on them for that case. So when they see that, let's say if it's a, a recording device of their drug sale, the defendant gets to see that. And then they start to learn the, tactics that we use they they understand some of the technology we use so then they just adapt to it so what we used to have on the street level corners guys are selling drugs to cars passing by like an open-air drug market they've all now like for at least a lot of the trend in the south because they've evolved and so when they, they move indoors like into a, like hotels and stuff uh, recording device oh. their drugs you know what i mean right yeah no, so makes, makes total sense. so when they at once they move into a hotel like that now you don't have them on the streets. So you don't have guys that can just ride by and just shoot at their enemies or try to take over that corner. Now you got in a hotel and they'll actually go in and take over. They potentially can take over an entire hotel or motel. I should say like, like smaller scale motels. Oh, what? they're not, they're not uh, hitting up the embassy suites. Uh, it depends, man. I'll, I'll tell you what it depends. Like some cities, um, one I know of had, uh, three-story motel and all they would do is it was a local blood set that got pretty good but they can go in and they figure out the staff whoever's working the front desk and if they have some type of vice whether it's they like prostitutes or they have some type of drug use that or they may just pay them cash but the gang member will come in and be like all right i need a room off the books but i got a girl that'll do whatever you want tonight right Right. So they may bring in a prostitute and say, here, you can have a, a free trick or whatever. Let me get a room off the book. So then that clerk, in essence, will give them a room key, not put their name on the books and let them operate and sell out of that hotel room. So some clerks realize, oh, I can make money on the side like this. This is easy. The word gets out between gang members and they're like, oh, well, this clerk is good on, say, Tuesday, Thursday nights or whatever their work schedule is. And so everybody starts to go to that clerk. And, and if it's money, they may pay him money, you know. Right. So they're making money off on the side or they're getting free drugs on the side or tricks from prostitutes. And then they get operated out of the hotel room off the books. So then you have to switch up your tactics as like a drug team or a gang team 
to actually get surveillance on those areas and work informants and start hammering them in the hotels. It's, it's always evolving and you always have to try to stay ahead of it. You, you can't just sit back in the parking lot and eat donuts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I mean, that's too bad. I love donuts. <laughs> oh, I eat the hell out of donuts. I'm kidding. Oh, you can eat donuts and still do surveillance. Oh, dude, my, I mean? the new house, it's a big problem. Our new house, uh-huh. literally on the corner is a Dunkin' Donuts. Hey, go there every day. Go there twice a day. I, I damn near am because <laughs> my kids in the morning, I get them like starting warming them up, you know, and like, hey, what do you want for yeah. breakfast? Donuts. I'm like, We're not doing donuts. <laughs> like, we want donuts. They're six and three. So uh-huh. there's, there's no reasoning with them. Yeah. And they've not, already tasted them, right? Probably. Yeah. They're already hooked. Right. Yeah. yeah. You should, <laughs> you should go after Dunkin' Donuts. They're getting these kids hooked on this shit. Right. Yeah. And, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I used to joke with people when they would see me and like, if I was going in and out of Dunkin', especially like later at night, you know, and, uh, but that was always like the running joke. So I would tell the citizens that, that we had a policy that our, our chief or our department, would not let us go inside of a Dunkin' Donuts in uniform because of the stereotypes, right? <laughs> and citizens like feel sorry for like, oh, that's so terrible. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, the, the whole reason we have that stereotype is because usually Dunkin' Donuts was or any kind of donut shop was like 24 hours. Right. Yeah. You know, it, 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 was, it was open all night. So if it's four in the morning and you want a cup of coffee, you just kind of want to sit and try and right. catch your breath and relax. Use a donut shop is where to go. And then you go there and they, they may give you free coffee or free donut. And the clerks don't want to get robbed. So they really want cops there, you yeah. know, throughout the night. So that's really how you get the stereotype. But man, I'll crush some donuts. Oh, yeah. Why you had normal glaze? You go uh, vanilla frosted with sprinks. <laughs> I want to tell you right now, uh, there's a chain. I don't know where, I don't know if they're all over the U.S., but Krispy Kreme donuts. Mm. Man, you give me uh, 12 Krispy Kreme donuts. And I'm oh, happy. Dude, the, the hot was that it was yeah, hot, hot now, hot and ready. Sign. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, they're soft and they're almost like real thin. They are, you know, like, like they're not real like that cake, like yeah. Dunkin' Donuts, like cakey donuts. Yeah. Krispy Kreme, man. I'm telling Krispy you. Krispy Kreme is a yeast donut. Whereas okay. Dunkin' Donut is a cake donut. So that's yeah. the difference. Krispy Kreme. The one thing I have with them is once they cool that glazing yeah. on there. Yeah. gets a little like, um, a little brittle. It gets everywhere. Well, yeah, it's because you're an amateur. What you got to do is put it in the microwave for right at seven seconds. And, dude, I'm telling you, it brings it right back to life. Oh, dude, seriously. And, and you can't eat it and enjoy it. If I'm, if I'm visiting in the South, yeah, like Krispy Kreme, like, sure, I'm going straight to Bojangles, dude. <laughs> that is, yeah. Uh, dude, you talk, so about, I, you talk yeah. about riding the drag or was it chasing the dragon? I move here, no Bojangles. I get there. I get yeah. back to the south. I'm a fiend, dude. Cajun filet yeah. biscuit and a mellow yellow. Keep them coming, man. <laughs> so at one point, well, I started training rookies uh, in the field. So you have a citizen that joins a police department. They go through an academy. And our academy is really long, really intense. Then they get on the get on training, which means a patrol officer has to ride in the passenger seat of a car while the rookie drives and handles everything and you have to evaluate them. So you're basically like going to hot calls, like active shooters or robbery in progress. And you've got to like, let this rookie stress out and handle it and, and follow them and kind of guide them. Right. So I have this rookie and I always would just eat out of a cooler. I'd bring sandwiches, whatever, like, cause we really didn't have restaurants where I worked at. And 
he wasn't used to that. So he's just like, I got to get something to eat. All right, dude, all we have are like three different Bojangles anywhere in our district. That's about it. You know, Cause they're everywhere. I call every corner. And literally we, in a 12 hours, we ate Bojangles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and I'm like, I don't think the human body is supposed to eat Bojangles in a 12 hour period and go through these highs and lows and these spikes of adrenaline we got going on. Yeah, today, that, that is a lot of Bojangles. I'll like we, like we had been in the jail twice that day. We made two, two physical rests throughout the day. And then all this other stuff. I was like, all right, tomorrow, man, like pack a lunch. Like we can't be eating uh, two Cajun filet biscuits and, and like two or three of these bow berry biscuits or whatever yeah, the those berry biscuits. Yeah. Oh man. He got me on those. I'm like, no, nah, dude, like, like this is an addiction. We got to stop this, man. Yeah. Like you have to run after somebody or just like sweating out chicken grease. Oh yeah. 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 I, I know a guy in another agency who got in a, he had just eaten a Whopper. Uh, was that Burger King Whopper, I guess mm-hmm. fries and, and drank the big old like yep. Coke or whatever. And immediately, like 20 minutes later, he gets in a foot pursuit, catches the guy, and then pukes all over all him. Over him. Yep. him. I can see that. And he had to apologize. He's like, he's so sorry, you know, because it's bad. You don't want to do that. But that's how, that's what happens, man. So you got to eat. Here's a trick is you eat little a little amount of food throughout the day. You right. never eat like a – like I should never have had Bojangles three times that day because it makes you sluggish and lazy, and you'll get fat. And you, you don't want any of that if you're a troll officer. Yeah, no, I actually like so Bojangles for me, it turns into like it is the Cajun fillet biscuit and the mellow yellow mm-hmm. is because I am hungover as shit, right? So <laughs> before I I moved, I was 24 when I moved, right? I'm 34 now. So when I was there, most mornings hungover. You know, mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s being a, you know, piece of shit. <laughs> now when I go back, I'm just there to hang out with friends. So in the morning, hungover, give me that Canyon Filet biscuit in me, like, good to go. <laughs> yeah. That and, uh, <laughs> and Zaxby's. Love me some Zaxby's. Uh, are they doing all right? I've heard they are not doing too well. Like, they're closing down. Oh, maybe me. not. I, well, the yeah. thing is, like, I'm, I like, I say Zaxby's out of nostalgia, here yeah. we have uh, raising canes, and it's literally the exact same thing, and maybe even better to be honest, because there's a Zaxby's in Kansas City, and uh, my wife and I go to like a Chiefs, at least like one Chiefs game a year, because mm-hmm. uh, she she decided she likes football right around the time the Chiefs started getting really good, and they're local. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can be excited about watching football if somebody's so, winning, right? Yeah. So the last time we went to a Zaxby's was in Kansas City. And it wasn't very good. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's I, I've had it a few problem. times. Yeah. It's the sauce. The sauce is good, but, and the bread. Mm-hmm. They have that good garlic bread. They're like the, the Texas toast. So, yeah. So, we digress. But, um, mm-hmm. so the gang, a couple of thoughts, like the gang activity stuff popping up. I mean, obviously, just like almost anything. Like, it's money motivated, right? Money, power, which I guess money buys you power. So, like, what, like, is it, is it mainly drugs? Is it, like, petty B&E stuff? Is it, is it sex trafficking? And I know, uh, like, you said, well, everything's different, but, like, what's the, like, what yeah. is the main, like, if you were to have to pinpoint kind of one, I guess, uh, thing, like, one crime thing, for lack of a better term, 
to start targeting a gang? Like, is it drugs? Is it prostitution? Is it trafficking? Is it BMEs? Right. Like, what? I guess what's the what's the bread and butter? Yeah, it is. The, it's very similar to like when you're looking at the gang. Each person has their strong suit or their skill set, right? Right. So we'll we'll keep it very simple. Let's say we are looking at a blood set, right? Mm -hmm. So if I say blood, people go, oh, yeah, they wear red. That's what most people know, right? Mm -hmm. but, but when you're talking about a blood gang, it, it is, there's no such thing as the highest ranking blood, okay. right? It is, it's more like a profession as opposed to a, a, a huge gang, so to speak. What you have are called sets or nations. Okay. So you will have an entire conglomerate of these sets. So think about it this way. If I say blood, people go, oh, okay, that guy's a blood gang. Say, so, yeah, but is it East Coast or West Coast? All right. So all I'm doing is breaking it down into almost like a like scientists do genus and phylums and stuff and species. Right. Like that's all we're doing, or an organizational chart. So then I go, okay. If you tell me this dude's a blood, okay, is he East Coast or West Coast? He's East Coast. Okay, he's East Coast. Okay. Is he UBN or is he NYBBA? Is he New York Brim Blood Army? Yeah, he's New York Brim Blood Army. Okay. What set is he? And then and it, you just break it down into okay. these smaller sections. It's it, They're very – they're uh, multi-levels. Multi so well, I'm about to say, this sounds a lot like, you know, the multi-level marketing that all my friends from high school try to get yes. into. Yes. Yeah, you know? pyramid scheme, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Like the yeah, pyramid, the pyramid scheme. scheme yeah. yeah. So, so really, and and some of the East Coast blood sets capitalized on that and began to charge dues. So each member had to pay thirty one dollars, right? So for some of these sets, these guys were paying thirty one dollars every Friday or Sunday. It depends on which days they're going to do their meetings. But either way, they go to you. You go to a meeting, and some of these sets, like in, in our city, were fifty or sixty members in a set, right? Gotcha. So, imagine guys going to a city park and girls, and they're all gang members. They're all part of the same group, the same collective, they have the same chain of command, and they're sitting in a park. And one person is saying, "Okay, we got to pay dues. Let's go ahead and collect them." And they go through, and each person has to pay thirty-one dollars. Now you take 31 and just multiply it by 50. And I'm not a mathematician, but I mean, that's some good money. Oh, you yeah. take that money, you put it into basically what, what they sell or what they say to the members is that this is like our lock box. Like this is our, our kitty or our fund right here. So right. we take each, each week we take these funds. And then if you get in trouble and let's say you get arrested on a drug charge or shooting somebody or whatever, we're going to put money on your books, which means we're going to put money on your account in jail so you can, can buy food and stuff. And then we're going to pay, say, your grandmother's light bill. Maybe you got a kid that, that needs diapers. Like, we're going to take care of you. That's the whole point of you paying these dues. So that's yeah. what these members do. Now, what happens is the middle management gets to take a cut of that money, and then they send it up. They send a portion of it up the chain. So whoever's in that chain of command gets a cut of this money. So if you have, like, let's say you're a high-ranking blood in that certain set, you, you may have 200 members under you. So you're going to get a portion of 200 people paying $31 every week. 
or every month. Right. So as you go up the chain, you really don't have to commit a lot of crimes because you're getting free money by getting membership. So that's also how your gains spread and expand and grow so quickly, what seems like overnight, because middle management is recruiting more people. And as they recruit more people, those people, if they can bring more people in and they can kind of show heart and they can pass some of their tests, they can get rank. So once they get ranked, they can recruit. So then, you know, one kid can get recruited, say, at 18 years old, and he does a couple months or a year or two or whatever, and he's got a bunch of people that he can recruit in. They may give him rank, and now he brings in five more people or ten more people under him. So he's bringing in more dues and making the, and making the set grow larger. Now, for a criminal organization, you're, you're making money and you're becoming financially stronger by growing this membership, but you're really weakening your set because now you have so many people that haven't been vetted. Right. And that may not have that, like that, that heart, you know, to put in work to do violence in order to protect your fellow gang members. Or if there's a certain objective you're trying to do, if it's take over a block or do whatever, or if you just got ongoing beef, like that's their downfall. So what we've seen or I say I've seen for almost 20 years now is the evolution as these, as certain sets grow so quickly and charge dues, they also are very vulnerable to us flipping some of their members and even some of their managers into informants. So there'll be some sets that we've done uh, where we've had multiple informants on different levels and ranks and, and just dismantle the entire set or disrupt it so much that they can't commit violence because then they go into self-preservation mode. Right. I mean, so I guess like a question I have for that is uh, just being, you know, bystander, you know, I love, uh, I don't know if you've seen the Miami vice movie with Colin Farrell, one of my favorites, you know? Okay. I haven't seen it, but I will see it. Well, yeah, if see, you say it's good, I'll watch it. Oh, it's awesome. It's uh, Michael Mann's the director, who's actually one of my favorite directors. He, uh, oh, Have you seen uh, Collateral with Tom Cruise and no. Jamie Foxx? <laughs> no, Man. but I remember the old Miami Vice show. I know Man. Michael Mann's work, so I'm good. I've watched Heat. Uh, stuff, heat. So heat, right here, dude. Yeah, yeah. Heat. I see it. Heat? Yeah. Dude, Heat. Uh-huh. Fucking awesome. Actually, you should know what. Oh, reverse. Here we go. Um, yeah, yeah. I think they like at one point the FBI was using that shootout scene mm-hmm. as kind of like a training thing about like this is what like you will experience like this it was so like technically well shot like the shootout scene of them robbing that bank and shooting yeah. their way out the FBI was like yeah this is probably going to be if you're if you're dealing with intelligent people this is what it's going to be yeah. like yeah but, and and well when you're training that's what you always try to train. You don't train for like, oh, well, if this guy just pulls a gun, whatever. You try to train for if someone has your tactics and can mirror your tactics, how are you going to address that? So, like, they're in, in heat. They're shooting, moving, and communicating. They're moving from cover to cover to cover. They've got magazines, basically like Velcro, so they can just yep. do quick mag checks and changes. So, yeah, I mean, and that was a small part of the movie that made it so great. But, yeah, if you watch something like that, and then go, okay, in the real world, we've got some former, you know, airborne rangers who are robbing banks, which you've got that. There are former special ops guys who have done bank robberies and stuff. Yeah, I think uh, Tansy just get... did a show about that, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were talking about out it. Out I'm like, of, dude, out you of brag or something, right? Like, yeah, yeah. 
So, and, and there have been some cases, too, where you've had law enforcement go wrong and they start robbing banks. Uh, and I watched one where, where uh, the FBI figured out that the bank robbery suspect was a cop because the way he would stand and hold his weapon was almost really the only technique that most cops in that era were learning how to shoot. It was like basically like the modified isosceles or whatever. But, but I mean, they looked at it and then they started tracking it. Anyway, long story short, it was a damn dirty cop robbing banks. But so to get all the way back to Miami Vice, I watch it. I was a big fan of the old show. I don't, I like watching cop movies that don't, um, that are, that are accurate. Let's put it that way. Like The Wire, the TV show, oh, The Wire. Dude, the Wire, incredible. It's by, right? So now I recommend that to people. They often go, well, this is kind of boring. And I'm like, well, boring because you're you're conditioned like to see a John Woo movie where guys are like blowing up and jumping over yeah. cars and stuff. But you watch The Wire and that is almost like watching like a, it's like a documentary. I mean, it's so right. accurate to what it's like when you're working like an Osadet case or a Rico case and you're trying to basically dismantle a criminal organization uh, is is wonderful writing, dude. Yeah. R.I.P. Omar, by the way, passed away That's recently. Right. You know, uh, one of the best, one of the best characters ever, and oh. that dude as an actor was phenomenal. Yeah, did you? Um, I don't know if you ever watched uh, Boardwalk Empire. Yes, he was in that. <laughs> yeah, I, yep. I, 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 my kids don't get it, but my wife gets the reference, so I say it all the time when my kids start acting up. I'm like, uh-huh. I ain't building no bookshelves. <laughs> Right, right, dude. He was also, he has a small bit part in the movie The Road, which is very okay. depressing, but it but it's based on a book. But yeah, I read, I read the book. I, yeah. I read the book, so I knew better than to watch the movie because the book right. is, I mean, just woof. Rough. Yeah, it, um, it's a great one, but man, it, it'll I mean, put it's you good. in it's probably very, right. It's probably very accurate to what life would be like if, you know, that set of circumstances all happened, you know, but. Yeah, <laughs> sadly it is. He's got a bit part in that movie, though, and he's he's incredible, dude. That dude is great. And that Omar character, that's legit, man. Almost every city always has a guy who doesn't follow any of the rules and robs the drug dealers, and everybody's scared to death of him. Almost every city's got that. I mean, if, if he's in your – if a guy like that's in your city and he's just robbing drug dealers, do you kind of just yeah. let him go? I don't know. Who? Oh, for police? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's who you want to catch because he's going to put some people in the ground, man. You know what I'm saying? This is what happens. If if he robs somebody and they don't know who he is, you know, like in the wire, they would be like, Omar, Omar, and they just start after a while, they throw the red caps like out the window. You know right. what I mean? Like they just throw the drugs out the window, like don't even come in here. Like, here's your here's what you need or whatever. Right. So, but if you can't catch those dudes in your city and they go like where either someone says, I'm not going to give it up like Omar anymore or they hesitate and they get shot. I mean, it'll happen. Like they'll start putting people on the ground. Then they realize, oh, well, when I kill people, I don't have anybody that can come back and testify or come back and get me. Uh, okay, yeah, you know what I mean. Makes sense. So, so psychologically, also, you don't ever want somebody who has that the most violent mindset in your city to feel untouchable or right. to feel like the department is so. Um, I don't know how I don't know how to say it tactfully, but like so slow to respond right, that you yeah. stay ahead of them. Like that's the thing, like in, in a city, you always want to condition gang members and your most violent offenders. You want to condition them to believe you can't, you can't win this. Like either you're going to end up dead in a wheelchair, right? Cause you have gunshot wounds 
from prison the rest of your life because we know everything about you. Like, you know, we'll go and intercept people and say, listen, this is a deal. I know when you got recruited, I know what rank you hold. I know all the babies, mamas, and all the women that you know and where you put your head down. I know where your grandmother lives. I know what grade you had in high school. I know what grade you dropped out. I mean, like, you lay it all out there, and then guys oftentimes would be like, all right, well, damn, you're doing your homework. And then you can say, but I'm only telling you this because I'm giving you the heads up. Like, you're in a city right now where you're not going to win in this game. You're not going to – this gang life is going gonna, is gonna to ruin you. And especially now that you know how much we know, you would be a fool to go out there and either carry a gun when you can't carry one because of your record, go out there and put somebody in the ground or put in work or do anything like that. Like you, you would not be smart to do that because we're already on you. So the best thing you can do is lay your flag down, which means kind of going out of the gang on a good way, mm-hmm. or move to another city. Hell, go to another city and whatever you want to do. But in our city, you're not, you're not going to be able to do this unchecked. And so if we know all this intel about you, you can imagine crimes that we know you'll commit in the future. Right. Or, or, you, or you take our advice and you don't do it. You know? And we have had guys that they like one guy was planning, he put a hit out from, from jail, right? So like guys on, in jail get jail phone calls so they can call out. It tells them they're on a recorded phone line. They know the first thing they hear when they pick up the phone is you're you are being recorded at this facility, yet they'll still put hits out on people for the jail. Like basically, you need to take care of this. So they'll use like coded language, you know. Like I'm not telling you put him up out of his shoes, but you got to lay him down, right? So then the guy will be like, oh, okay, he don't want me to kill him, but he definitely wants me to shoot him and let him know that you know whatever. So we had we had one of those where we, we were listening to a jail phone call and going, okay, this dude just put a hit out on this guy and we know who he's talking to. So what are we going to do? We're going to sit back and let him shoot this guy. That's some movie stuff. You don't do that. So we're like, okay, we, we, we were like a plain clothes unit. So we had long grown out hair, goatees, beards, you know, I'm, I'm rocking like a, a punk rock t-shirt and Vans tennis shoes, you know, whatever. But we just go step to this guy at his house and lay it out and go like, Hey, look, this is our thing, man. We're a unit that, we're not in uniform. We're in plain clothes. And our only job is to keep you from killing somebody. And we already know that you got the hit from this dude. You hold this rank. We know that who your target is and why you want, why your superior wants him shot. But the good news is you're not going to go shoot him now, are you? And the dude looked like he was going to puke. And he said, no, sir, I'm not going to. He's like, as a matter of fact, I thought it was stupid that we were even talking on the jail phone call about that. I said, well, the problem was that you thought we didn't know coded language and that we wouldn't be doing this. Like, imagine this is what we do, man. This is what we live for. Because now you get to live the rest of your life knowing that you're not going to prison for shooting somebody. And as a matter of fact, you're probably never going to pick up another gun or you probably won't even go to the next nine or the next meeting because you know we're going to be monitoring the meeting, right? And he was like, yes, sir. He's like, I I didn't know that. Like, Like, basically, they guys will get recruited and told that the police know nothing about the gang and that we're really stupid when it comes to gangs and that we would never know the hand signs. We wouldn't know the rank structure, the lingo, their hit them ups, their prayers, their link, like none of that. So when, when gang members get brought in there, they are programmed or they're conditioned that they're on the winning end. And then they intercept or we intercept them or, and, and they go, and it blows their mind. Like, how do you know my hand signs? How do you know who I, how do you know my street name? How do you know my, my family nickname? Like, 
how do you know all this stuff? And it's like, because we want you to understand that we're going to clear our shootings. We're going to clear our homicides and we're giving you an option out. Like, like you, you can leave. Like we know enough about certain gangs that guys can leave. You know, it's not like the old days where you hear like, oh, you got to kill somebody to get out of the gang. Like a lot of gangs are not like that. They can go out in a box you know, they or whatever were, they say. What's that now? What was it like? You always like the only way out is in a box. Yeah. So, well, I mean, like, so years ago, you know, a, a lot of the gangs that were that were smaller and more tight knit, that would be like maybe one of the rules, like, oh, you got to shed blood to get in the gang. Now you got to kill somebody to get out and all this. But really, some of the gangs were not letting letting people out. They were like, no, nah, like, like this is for life. You're not you're not leaving the set. And they were hanging on to disgruntled workers, basically. Basically. So if you if you study anything with like espionage and how countries flip mm-hmm. people into spies and militaries and stuff, you find a disgruntled workers and you pay them a lot of money or or get dirt on them and then they turn them into spies. Well, it's the same way in the gang world. It's like if they hang on to these disgruntled dudes that don't want to be in the set, they're going to be more uh, more anxious and then they're going to be you know, they'll, they'll look at their options and go, okay, yeah, I will cooperate or I will work. Like, why am I going to go to federal prison or why am I going to go to the state penitentiary based on this gang stuff when I don't even want to be in the gang anymore? And they're basically making me stay because they're charging me dues, you know, right. start losing your members. You don't get your dues. So all this stuff you know, has evolved. Now there are some gangs that they may have a harsher rule about that and be like, no, you can't leave. Or there are certain things they may have to go through in order to get out of the gang. But often, like the terminology is like they'll say, I'm, I laid my flag down. So, you're talking about like, you know, traditionally gangs with fly colors or bandanas. And that kind of comes and goes, man. We'll see it for like five or six years. You'll see everybody flagging bloods, crips, everybody. Then all of a sudden, everybody stops for a while, you know, a couple of years. And then it comes back, you know. But that's what they call it their bandana. They treat it like the flag, like the national colors. Gotcha. So for like cops, yeah, like when I'm teaching cops, it's like don't if you run across a, a bandana, what you see is a bandana. Look at how it how how is it on display? Is it folded a certain way? Is it in the back right pocket? What color is it? You know, is it bright red or is it burgundy? Oh, it's burgundy. It's folded. It's in the left back pocket. Okay, he could be Piru or he could be you know uh, Brim or whatever. Like let's let's go through all this. So when you're looking at those bandana, yeah. That's nuts, man. It's crazy. So so that's what I'm saying. Like, I I try not to get too far ahead of myself. But when I became a cop, hardly anybody was working gangs. But we had them. We had them on the street. And I grew up in in the same city that I patrolled, right? Right. So when I I went to the Army, then I went to college, got a psychology degree, and then became a cop. So there's a couple years there. I'm, I'm gone. But when I come back, I'm like, man, this is a... It's a different vibe and everybody's flying red bandanas in their back right pocket or wrapped on their right wrist, right? So I'm seeing that everything's on the right side of the body. And I'm like, okay, that means something. So, but when I would ask other people like senior officers or detectives, like, hey, you know, I'm a rookie, but damn, man, I got like dudes posted up. Like, and when I say posted up, like they're standing on a corner selling the cars and stuff. You know, that's what they do all day. It's like, they're wearing red bandanas. Like I, I know bloods wear red. They got to be bloods, right? And oh no, we don't have gangs. This ain't LA. You know, that was like the running joke. But really, nobody was paying attention to it. But that was what was driving our violence. What was these sets. 
So as I just started talking to dudes, man, I'm like, well, like, what does this mean? Like, I would see guys doing hand signs, and I would try to, like, watch it. Like, okay, I picked up that he took his index finger and his, and his thumb, and he made almost like the okay sign, but his, but his other three fingers, his middle finger, ring finger, and pinky are fully extended. So it looks like a lowercase b. Oh, and he's a blood. Okay. And so I would do that. Like, as I'm talking to guys as a rookie, like, oh, what's this mean, man? What's it? And they're like, oh, that's, that's B's up. What do you know about that? I'm like, I don't know, man. What do you know? About? And we would joke, like, you know, like two human beings can talk. Right. And so every little bit I started learning, as, as I got to different assignments, I was able to just kind of categorize it and then package it up so I could teach our officers and then eventually agents and deputies and all these people from other agencies. Like, look, there's a lot to this. Uh, and if we can stay ahead of it and create the next generation of, patrol officer and detectives, we just keep the ball rolling. Like everybody keeps sharing information. Don't, don't hoard it and don't try to be the gang expert. Like, like create, like I, like I tried to create about 50 versions of me throughout different levels so that the same knowledge I had, I can pass on to people. So it, it, it can be overwhelming, but the cool thing is the knowledge is there if people want to learn it. So it's, it's like taking a college course. You're sitting in there, learning everything about gangs, everything specifically about that set. And then at times I'll bring in sources with their faces covered up. So you never know their identities, but they'll sit there and talk to you. They'll explain to you why they joined the gang, what it was like getting jumped in, you know, so they'll get very specific about their set. And then I've got, you know, a classroom full of agents, deputies and officers. And they're like, dude, this is blowing my mind. You know, like we were always told, gang members don't snitch and stuff. And it's like, well, okay. But that's the, that's the first problem is that we are defeating ourselves by saying, oh, well, gang members won't talk. Instead of getting to know the gang members and going, damn, like this is a 20-year-old dude who's going through a lot in life. He made a mistake. He joined a gang, but he's got five kids or whatever. You know, right. he's doing the best he can to pay his bills. Yeah. And now he's realized after a couple of years in the gang, like, oh, shit, I have joined a legit criminal organization and I'm right. going to go to prison the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. That's kind of uh, what kind of what I thought of, like when you're talking about like these dues and where those dues go to. I was like, man, I can not that I know personally, but like for a dude living in like South Side Chicago with no and living in a community that's almost telling you you have no future other than this, like. Mm -hmm. Sounds yeah. like a pretty enticing thing to do, right? Yeah, that's what I would tell officers. Like, I had a lot of officers that had a good, they could have good hearts, they have good intentions, but they can't wrap their brain around it because maybe they grew up in the suburbs or they grew up, you know, which their parents maybe did a really good job and kept them out of violence and out of those types of um, environments. But I would have to tell them, like, don't look at it as, gosh, why would a kid join a gang? It's like, why wouldn't they? Look around, like, some of these kids are growing up in areas where, there are like no male role models for them other than guys who are already in the gang. That's when you get to your second generation in the city where, you know, a 10-year-old kid is looking around and going, the only dudes I know hanging out in this apartment complex or trailer park or neighborhood are gang members. And they're selling crackers. And you know, now they're selling heroin or molly or whatever. They're playing with guns or throwing up hand signs like, this seems cool. The same way, like, for me, when I was a kid, like, I'm around – People who were in the military, and I'm like, I like the way they act. I like the way they move. They're they're successful. They, you know, they're disciplined. 
that makes sense to me. So I was drawn to the army in the same way a young man or woman may be drawn to the gang because they see the positives in it. You know, they don't, uh, there's a very small fraction of gang members who are what you would kind of consider the psychopath or the antisocial personality disorder, like where they legitimately can't feel guilt or remorse and they enjoy the violence. Like they thrive on it. So these dudes are, you know, and, and you can pick it up when you're, out there doing work and you're doing intel and you're talking to different informants or you're talking to different gang members, or you have these encounters, you ask them, you're like, man, who, who's the, like, who's the dangerous dude in your set? And they're, and they'll tell you like, that's the one dude you don't mess with. You know, that's, right. that's why they call him Merc or homicide or whatever. You know, it's like they have a street name or a moniker that is indicative of violence. So then that's who, if you're in an agency or department, you want to disrupt violence. That's who you go after. You don't worry about, you know, the five dudes that are over here selling weed or something. I mean, unless they're shooters, but if your Intel says, okay, well the sixth guy, he didn't really sell weed. He's kind of broke, but he's the one everybody's saying is the most violent in the set. We'll find out whatever crimes he's, he's doing and charging. Cause if he's not out there in, in the world's most dangerous dodgeball game, he's out of bounds. He's out. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not in play cause he's locked up. Right. If, you, if, if agencies do that, then you, then one, you don't have to worry about someone getting shot by him or him getting shot. And when you're dealing with gangs, if somebody gets shot, there's got to be retribution. So then you have your fellow gang members that are like, okay, our buddy got shot. So now we got to roll on the dudes that we think shot him. And so it's, it's like a, you know, you'll, you'll go two or three weeks with, with no problem. And then all of a sudden, boom, you'll have 12 or 13 shootings back to back that are all linked to two groups hating one another now. And each time someone gets shot, it just adds fuel to the fire. But if you prioritize and go after the most violent guys in the gang set, once they get arrested, then you can even go to some of the gang members and be like, look, we, we're prioritizing. That dude's the most violent. We knew he had an AK or whatever. We knew he was involved in a shooting. We got him on a robbery charge. Now, who else are we going to have to worry about in the set? And if anybody commits violence or pushes any kind of static or beef with another set, you're going to get dealt with. Like they, you're going, you're going to the top of the list. So then you're conditioning gang members to be more peaceful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. You can't arrest all of them. You can, I mean, these cities, you've got thousands of gang members. So the whole idea of like, oh, we're just going to run around and be able to address all that. No, no. You you prioritize and go after the dudes that are, are violent or. If you have someone who has rank and they're pushing expansion and they're trying to recruit so many different people or new people, you want to focus on them as well because you want to slow down that growth. You don't want more people joining the set and then because the set's making more money and they're getting more bold and they're like, okay, now we can we can do what we can flex on somebody else or do whatever. Right. Dude, yeah, yeah, we're not we're not running around just writing a few tickets, man. There's a whole strategy. This is throughout the South. All these departments, that's what people are doing in each department. It's like you got to move smarter. Like you got to be 10 times faster and smarter than, you know, we were 15 years ago. Yeah, dude, like trust me. We're going to wrap this up, but this has been fascinating. I could sit here and go full Rogan with you for like 3 hours, but <laughs> My right, kids, right. my kids are at the in-laws, and my old lady's barking at me. You know what I'm yeah. saying? No, no, it's yeah. all good. It's all good. You know, but yeah, yeah. daddy, gotta go take care of business here in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But um, so yeah. I got two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One, 
You were talking about Latin Kings earlier. I hooked up with a girl in my 20s who had a Latin King tattoo. Yeah. Should I get checked? <laughs> no, I think you're good now, man. All right. I hope. I don't know. It depends, man. I don't know. Was she was she good to you or no? She was nice. You were you were okay. Yeah, Latin Kings actually they're I mean they're 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 businessmen, man. They right. move they move a lot differently. You know, I just know how like some of these ladies get in, you know. I was like, oh oof. Yeah, yeah. Gangs have diversified now, man. You got a lot of gangs that, that let women in and they don't I mean they're they're still pretty small minded when it comes out, like misogynistic and stuff, but the women are putting in work and shooting people and fighting, so it's not like the old days where they were kind of excluded. Gotcha. And then um, you mentioned this one of the random thoughts. And again, this has been so fascinating. I definitely want to have you back on, you know, okay. again, yeah. but because uh, so many questions. But um, yeah. you mentioned Gangster's Disciple or Gangster Disciples out of Chicago, which made yeah. me think of, I think right now, isn't like their former like leader or somebody in Florence Supermax and Kanye, like Kanye West is trying to get him out. Um, yeah, there's, uh, you're probably talking about Larry Hoover. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So like Larry Hoover's uh, one of the founding members, like he and David Barksdale, David Barksdale died in like 1974, but Larry Hoover's been in prison for many years, but there is this, um, kind of this movement or theory that if he were out of jail, he would be able to control the violence in Chicago. That that's I think that's what we're talking about. But um, the problem that Chicago has, the way I understand it, I don't work in Chicago, but is that the there's so like the ring structures kind of just kind of dissipated with the young guys. So you got like the young reckless dudes with guns who are just shooting and running amok. I mean, it's not. But, but if you go back and study, and I won't bore you, but if you go back and study Gangster Disciples, aka Growth and Development, when they rebranded, they actually got couple of million dollars from the Clinton administration and funneled it into Chicago because the Clinton administration thought they were they, that growth and development was like a um, like a grassroots organization to help kids in impoverished mm-hmm. cities or impoverished neighborhoods. Um, but the way some of the investigation reads out and stuff is that they basically funneled a lot of the money right into the to the gang. Moving very smartly though, they're they're like the using the old Al Capone days. You know, right. use the politicians to your advantage, but yeah, damn, yeah. Again, yeah. Check check out. Hey, check out Rick Ross. You can YouTube like Rick Ross, gangster disciple, uh, threatens kind of thing. Okay. And he was he was had he had a tour scheduled a couple years ago. Several states, gangster disciple guys got together, flagged up, they covered their faces up, and they basically made videos saying, "Rick Ross, you're not real GD." stop false claiming and don't you better not come to our city and he and eventually his tour got canceled and i can't remember why but there was a strong correlation with the videos that were out there on the internet it's crazy oh damn yeah i'll check that out i'll also check out uh the labyrinth book you talked labyrinth, about yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then uh That's good one more question sorry like i said we do live we got a live chat and uh one of my listeners okay. is a huge fan of her she goes by imperial girl um mm-hmm but she, when she found out you were on, she went nuts. And uh, she wants to know. I asked, <laughs> She's a good people, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Another Southern uh-huh. girl. Southern girl. <laughs> um, so she, her question is, uh, what music are you vibing to today? Ooh. 
Uh, so today, uh, earlier today, I listened to a band called Terror, T-E-R-R-O-R. Okay. Uh, it's a Los Angeles hardcore band. All right. Amazing. I probably got like, uh, I don't know, three or four CDs of theirs. Um, and that's what I was listening to earlier today. Um, and then prior to that, uh, two days ago, I was listening to uh, Teskey Brothers, T-E-S-K-E-Y Brothers. That's like, it, they sound like old late 70s early 80s like soft rock kind of but, but, but with a little more soul okay. yeah i listen to a lot of different stuff but man t-s-k-e-y brothers teskey brothers that's right. good dude that yeah good. she obviously knows you she, she went deep cut with the music question, yeah right? well, well on our show the disruptors we always we weave music into a lot of our episodes right so we may talk to somebody who is military background all this badass stuff and then we're like all right what do you listen to you know what I mean? Like, right. So we, we get into music a lot. Gotcha. Big, well, so that, that leads me into the wrap up here. Uh, before we wrap this yeah. whole thing up, uh, plug your thing, man. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah. So we, we're we on all the platforms, Spotify, all that stuff. Uh, and it's the Disruptors podcast with BC and Ski. So, and that's Disruptors with an O. So some people said they, they kind of do the search and it doesn't always pop up. So if you put in Disruptors Podcast with BC and Ski on any of the major platforms, it should pop up. Um, and then we're on Instagram and that is uh, the underscore Disruptors underscore podcast. Uh, so we're on, we're on Instagram. We don't mess around with Facebook and stuff. Uh, we do have Gmail. We have some people who hear us on a podcast or, or whatever and they want to reach out to us, especially people who are wanting more about law enforcement, how to do some proactive work. And that Gmail is the disruptors.bc.ski at gmail.com. Cool. And I'll make sure uh, I'll put all that, uh, all those links in the description on the YouTube and on the, the audio show as well. So you can go find the uh, show. So like, what do you guys uh, talk about? Is it just two yeah. law enforcement guys kind of bullshitting or do you talk? <laughs> well, about- if, if we didn't, tell you we were cops you probably wouldn't know it so we not every episode is about police work but so i mean we've had uh, a guy on here who's a situational awareness specialist born in kuwait came to america fall overseas and then that's all he studies is body language and stuff so i mean we'll switch from him to uh you know we had a guest brock bevel who who was a drug cop who got addicted to opioids and had to overcome that and also was in a deadly shooting um, so he, it was a great episode with him. I mean, we, we get Jason swore on there. Who's founder of skillset magazine. Like we, we, we find guests who have really done really cool stuff, but are like just fun to talk to and are not full of themselves and beating their chest kind of thing. Um, so we just got a wide variety. We're going to have some bands come on. We've got some reformed, uh, Nazi extremists that we're going to interview who are now living better lives. Yeah. Former gang members and stuff. So, yeah, wow. it's fun, man. It's fun to be able to, to I'm hooked bring already, a lot of man. that. I'm hooked already. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good stuff, man. We have fun. Well, awesome, man. Again, thank you for coming on. This was incredibly fascinating. Like I said, like I'm as you're talking, like I'm making notes about questions. It's like we can do another <laughs> yeah. three hours. Yeah. You don't have the oh, time. Yeah. I got, you know. <laughs> yeah, who man. knows? My my lady's on the other side of the door buck naked by now. Who knows? So <laughs> You know, so yeah. I don't want to miss out on that. But right. dude, thanks yeah. again for coming out. Everybody go check yeah. out the disruptors. I'll make sure the, the links are all in there. 
And uh, yeah. again, like, subscribe on YouTube. Go find us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rate, review. And uh, thanks for joining us. Good night.